0: Like Janae said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to those of you who might be visiting with us for the very first time. So glad to have you here in the house. And as always, we want to welcome those of you who are watching us online, whether you're watching us live or later on demand. So good to have you with us. And so we welcome you to come and check us out in person if you get the chance. But like our sister said, I am continuing a teaching series that we started several weeks ago a series that we're simply calling Questions for God. And so the premise of this series is if you had the opportunity to have an uh, audience with God where you could ask him any question whatsoever, what would that question be? I like this whole idea of this series and the idea that we can bring our questions to God because one of the great frustrations, as I said a couple of weeks ago, of the Christian life is that there is so much concerning the spiritual life, so much concerning how we're supposed to go about living our life that isn't entirely clear when we look at the scriptures or when we hear messages and sermons. There's so much mystery, so many questions we don't have immediate answers to Or places where the answers are there, but they're tucked beneath the surface. That's one of the great frustrations. And so uh, this idea that we can bring God our questions is really intriguing to me. And so this series is designed to help us see that God is not bothered by our questions. In fact, he welcomes them. We've pointed out so far there's numerous invitations in the scriptures to bring our queries and questions to God. Give your worries and cares, bring your concerns to God because he cares for us. If you need wisdom, James says, come and ask God and he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking that's right there in the scriptures. And so much of these answers that we find to these questions we will find in scripture and so we try very hard to root this series in scripture. But it will also be found in the council of wise believers, particularly those who have walked with the Lord for a long time. There's a couple of different places where we can find these answers. And so this series is designed to, to dive into that. And so, so far we've asked, are you the one? A question ripped from the pages of scripture. John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for someone else? And many of us, as we walk through this life with Jesus, have asked that same question in one way or the other. And last week, my lovely wife gave a wonderful message asking God, uh, what about women in ministry? What about women in leadership? And I've heard nothing but great uh, feedback from that message. And I want to tell you, next week, we're, having, uh, uh, we're going to be engaging the issue of sex, sexuality, and sexual ethics. And we just want to say, by way of warning, that the message next week will be rated PG-13. We want to give you that warning, and we'll be posting <laughs> Oh, and a hush goes over the room, right? Uh, We just want to give you a warning because uh, our students will be in uh, next week. uh, and So we'll be posting signs just to alert uh, people of this mature subject matter. We promise not to be unduly controversial or to be unduly crass or whatever, but we do want to give you a warning uh, in case you want to make uh, another arrangement for children or teens that you may not want in service. If you have any questions about that, you can reach out to our student ministry coordinator, uh, Latoya, for that. But that's what's happening next week. But today I wanna approach a really delicate subject, a subject that has caused great debate, uh, a subject that is highly political, a subject that has caused much discussion and controversy, especially in this election year and especially among evangelical Christians, and that is the subject of abortion. Abortion, uh, a conversation that deals with the sanctity of human life and the preciousness of the unborn. Uh, It's a subject that much discussion has been had about legislation, Roe v. Wade, that being overturned, and even some legislation that has come out in recent weeks. There's been significant discussion about this, and sometimes we're not having a good enough conversation about that in the church among the people of God. I want you to know that I know that this is a very high stakes issue. And because it's a high-stakes issue, I do what I do almost any time I'm engaging a high-stakes issue or a subject matter that I haven't particularly covered before in a message. I reach out to my smart friends uh, to help me think my way clear. But helped me discover blind spots. And so over the last couple of weeks, I was reaching out to my brothers, some of them fellow uh, pastors in the vineyard and some of them outside of the vineyard. I said, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm touching this subject for the very first time. What do you guys think? Let's start a dialogue about this. And some of them gave thoughtful answers. But one friend of mine, Pastor Jim Wood, who pastors uh, the Paxton Vineyard down in Paxton, Illinois, he said, Gino, I, I don't have much to say about this. But I do have a question for you. What, what women have you talked to about this issue? What women have you talked to about this issue? You know that emoji with the guy like doing the face palm? That's how I felt when he asked me that question and I feel like the spirit was on that reply to me because up until that point I hadn't spoken to any women. I hadn't darkened the door of any of the women in my life, and there are many women in my life about this subject that is central to their thoughtfulness and well-being surrounding this issue, and I, I felt convicted. That question, as it came through the text message, it ran me through, and I was prompted by the Spirit through my friends' questions to reach out. And I want to say that I'm thankful to the women in my life, my sisters, my wife, Uh, my mother and many of you SSV sisters that I reached out to and your thoughtful replies and the ways that you uh, gave me insights that I would have never uncovered and uh, on my own and the caution you gave me concerning this issue I just want to say thank you I was listening and if I fall short this morning please don't hesitate to reach out but because this is important Because this is a necessary conversation. My question for God this morning is this. God, what about the unborn? What about the unborn? And because this is a major, major issue, I want to bathe it in prayer this morning. And so, would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, you know, you know how serious this conversation is. You know with great sensitivity and even a bit of trepidation and a little bit of anxiety... I carry into this subject this morning, and I, Lord, I just ask that you would go before me this morning, go before us this morning, and would you, by your spirit, make the crooked places straight? Lord, uh, we all bring our own baggage, our own issues, our own history, our own stories into conversations like these. And only you, Lord, know what we've walked in here with. And so, Lord, especially today, I pray that you would move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. Put power on this message that you've given me to share, Lord. In any way the enemy might want to try to hijack this to condemn or to shame or to put down, Father, I pray that you would war against the enemy this morning so that we would hear what you would have to say and receive it in the spirit in which you are delivering it today. Come, Holy Spirit, Do what only you can do among us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. So as you know, this is a really vast subject, the likes of which I could never cover in a single message. And because this is a vast subject and I don't have time to cover everything, I just want to start this morning with what I'm calling some basic assumptions. Some basic assumptions, some things that I want to let you know that I know So since I don't have time to unpack all these things, I want to start with what I understand my basic assumptions to be to lay a groundwork for our conversation today. And I have a list of them, and I want to tick through them one by one. started with some basic assumptions. The first one is that this is a complicated issue. People have asked me in the past, Pastor, what do you think about abortion? And I would say to them, it's complicated. And some people would agree, but some people gave me that look like, assuming that I'm trying to ride the fence in some way, or to be noncommittal in some way, or dodge the question. Sometimes, when people say it's complicated, they are dodging a question. But sometimes, you know what, it's just complicated. It's nuanced, there's, there's layers to it, and it can't be unpacked in just a few moments. It's complicated. The second basic assumption that I lean in with today is this. The scriptures for my, for my, for my taste are uncomfortably silent when it comes to explicit instruction on this subject. Let me say it again. I believe that the, the scriptures are uncomfortably silent when it comes to explicit instruction on this subject. I'll also say that I want you to know that I know that I am a guy, that I am a man, and that I will never fully know the gravity of having to choose whether or not to carry a life. I want you to know that I know that and that I'm going to wade in this morning with due sensitivity in Jesus' name. I want you to know also that I don't believe that this is just a female issue or a female problem or simply the woman's burden to carry, as it takes both a man and a woman to conceive. I'm no sex expert, <laughs> but I do understand that it takes both a man and a woman to conceive and walk through this subject, and so it would be a mistake for me to just aim all of this discussion this morning at women. That's a basic uh, uh, assumption that I'm taking with me this morning. Also, I want to note that this is a very politically charged issue. And as somebody put it this uh, this week, some of our politicians have hijacked this issue and framed this debate in unhelpful ways. I want to own that at the outset, because they've leveraged this delicate consequential matter as an instrument of division, and I believe that is sinful and it's demonic. And I want to distance this conversation from that, and I just want to name that at the outset. I also want to say this, and please hear me when I say, I know that there can be a lot of guilt and shame for women who have already had abortions, and sometimes there doesn't seem to be any hope for them in sermons like these. I know that. I know that statistically speaking, the numbers tell me that even in a room like this, in the seats, there are women living with silence, sadness, sorrow, and shame, and need to hear from their pastor, and hear from heaven that they are loved, that they are forgiven, not only by God, by this community, and I wanna say that loud and clear, at the outset, you are loved, you are cherished, and you are not condemned. It's gonna be hard for us to move forward if you don't hear that. Let me also say this, there are men in this room, statistically speaking, who have deep and emotional ties to this issue. And for you, if you've uh, been involved in a decision to have an abortion, there can be guilt and shame and condemnation associated with this subject for you. And I want to extend you the same care and consideration that I extend Uh, The ladies in the house. And I want to remind each and every person in this room and those listening to the sound of my voice via live stream or podcast that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Amen. (laughs) And finally, I know that when it comes down to conversations like this, it just doesn't matter what we say, but it matters a great deal how we say it. And it is my promise to you as much as I can control to have this conversation with due sensitivity um, and to, to, to follow the way of Jesus as we wade into a difficult conversation. I don't intend to lecture you this morning. Instead, I want to sincerely invite, uh, extend to you an invitation to wrestle with God. Some of you braced yourself for the preacher to get on a high horse today and to lecture you. I don't want to do that today. Instead, I want to extend an invitation to wrestle with your maker this morning. The author and finisher of our faith, you and I will wrestle with him. I said it earlier that I'm uncomfortable. I'm frustrated by how silent the scriptures seem on such a consequential matter But rather than tell you how to think today, rather than tell you what or how to feel today, I want to give you instead a few things to wrestle with. Leaving you to ask yourself what and who is informing your decisions concerning abortion and the unborn? What and who is forming your opinions about abortion and the unborn? What and who, is informing your worldview? What and who is informing your politics concerning the subject? That's a real question that I want you to sit with and wrestle with this morning. Is it the character and nature of God that's informing your decision, your politics, your worldview, your opinions? Is it scripture, God breathed, God inspired word of God that's informing your opinion and your politics and your deeply held beliefs on the subject? Or is it the ever shifting winds of the culture? Is it legislation as it bounces back and forth? Is it your own circumstances that inform how you deeply feel about this? Is it your preferences? Is it your fear? Is it desperation or is it indifference. All of these things we're supposed to wrestle with today. And I think that's how God's gonna answer this question that we have posed to him this morning. What about the unborn? There are at least four things that we need to wrestle with together this morning. Uh, There are certainly more, but for the purposes of our time this morning, I wanna give you four things to wrestle with this morning. The first thing is Imago Dei, Imago Dei, told you, I'm not gonna tell you what to think today, I'm gonna give you some things to wrestle with, and at the tippy top of the list is Imago Dei, which is simply Latin for the image of God. We're introduced to this concept, this term in Genesis 1, the very beginning of the Bible, the very first book in the creation account. Genesis 1, we see the story of God creating everything that we see. And whether you uh, take this to be a figurative description of how God created the world or a literal one, nonetheless, we see in Genesis 1, God speaking to nothing and creating everything that we see. He starts with the sky, then the earth and seas and vegetation, the sun and the moon, animals of the air and sea, land animals. Then he creates humans you and me. And we read this in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And the very first thing on the list that I'm going to hand you today, not just for you to wrestle with, but for us to wrestle with, is this notion, this idea, this concept of us being image bearers. Made in God's image of much worth and value in his eyes. Imago Dei, this is a unique distinction which makes humans different from all others other creatures. I love all the other creatures that scurry along on the earth. But we are made in the image of God, humans, and that makes us unique. One author put it this way, to say that humans are in the image of God is to recognize the special qualities of human nature which allow God to be made manifest in humans. He continues, being in the image of God means that we are the creatures through whom God's plan and purposes can be made known and actualized. That's super, super important. He continues, the moral implications of the doctrine of Imago Dei are apparent in the fact that if humans are to love God, then humans must love other humans, as each human, he continues, is an expression of God. He's not saying that each human is God or is a God, but each human, because we're made in the image of God, is an expression of God, and that makes life really, really precious, really, really sacred. And I think it's important for us to grasp this profound nature and the far-reaching implications of what it means that humans are created in the image of God. Now, if we allow it, we certainly don't have time this morning, but it would broaden our conversation to not just stop with the unborn, but to talk about those outside of the womb as well. This is a much bigger conversation It would force us to talk about our criminal justice system it would force us to talk about how we relate to the immigrant and the foreigner how we care for the poor and the destitute and on and on and on but look i want to be disciplined today i don't have that much time to delve into it but this is a much broader conversation but for this important conversation this morning concerning the unborn we must wrestle with the imago day and whether or not that starts in the womb? That's the big question for many of us, right? Does that start in the womb? And when we ask that question, I can't help but be drawn toward more scripture, Psalm 139 in particular. Psalmist says this in verse 13, you made God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered we got to do business with this now is this just the psalmist waxing eloquent waxing poetic or is it a divinely inspired description of how even in the womb even in the dark of the womb God sees us and knows us that we are seen by him that we are known by him stamped with purpose and destiny, even in the womb we must wrestle with Imago day. And some of us, our issue today isn't that we've come in with strong opinions or strong political stances. Some of our issues is that, is that we haven't given much thought to this at all, that we're indifferent. And I don't think we changed the world and we, don't show up as agents of the kingdom being indifferent. We must wrestle wherever you fall politically, wherever you fall with regard to your opinion on the matter. We must wrestle with Imago Day. Second thing we have to wrestle with this morning is the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment. I don't want to tell you what to think today. I want to give you some things to wrestle with. And we must wrestle with the sixth commandment, which simply says, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you must not murder. Every define that, we got to wrestle with it if we're going to have this conversation. Now, for some of us, this can, can be confusing depending on which translation you've engaged. I grew up on the, the old King James Version, and it said in that version, thou shall not what? Thou shall not kill. And if you're engaging that translation, it can be confusing, but more modern, clearer uh, translations draw into sharper focus what God is saying and therefore what he is prohibiting, they use instead of kill, they use the word murder. For every murder involves killing, but not every killing involves murder, and that is important in this abortion discussion. This commandment forbids murder, which is the intentional and unjustified taking of a human life. In doing so, murder that is, God categorizes that as sin. Now, we're not talking about murder as in self-defense. We're not talking about murder when we talk about just acts of war. We're talking about murder when you take an innocent life in an unjustified way. And so the goal of this message is to carefully dissect this matter and to wrestle these things to the ground so that we can get a clearer understanding on this. And so it seems to me that the $100,000 question that's before us, oftentimes when we're discussing this matter, is, is abortion murder as far as God and the Scripture is concerned? Is abortion murder? What a heavy question, right? What a tense question. The silence in the room tells me everything I know about how tense and how essential that question is. As tense as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, for the, particularly for those of us who'd rather not engage this conversation, especially in mixed company, there's something wrong with us if we won't ask it. Something we're trying to avoid if we don't engage it. If we don't take the matter to God, turn it over in our minds and hearts, discuss it with friends and neighbors, wrestle down the scriptures to see what God's heart is. There is something wrong with us if we don't ask it, we don't ponder it, we don't take it to the scriptures. Of course, for those who say yes, abortion is murder. They say yes because, imago Dei. (laughs) day, we're made in the image of God, and at conception, that that is life in the belly. That is a person in there. They would say yes because uh, the psalm reminding us, psalmist reminding us that God is involved even in the womb, in the dark of the womb, that unformed body. God is involved that beautiful thing that is taking shape in the womb so they would say emphatically yes it is murder now for those of us who might say no it's not murder i come not to condemn you this morning but i come to ask you to wrestle with the scripture as well if you say it's not you have to ask yourself a follow-up question and that is this on what basis have I come to that conclusion? On what basis have I come to the conclusion that that life that is being formed in that belly, that bears the image of God, of much worth and value, that person growing in the belly with God's fingerprints all over their life and future, on what basis have you concluded that that is not a life? I'm not putting pressure on you this morning. I want you to wrestle with it, amen? N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar says that while abortion and infanticide, excuse me, was common in the ancient world, he notes that the Christians chose to abstain from these practices because they found them immoral. That is to say that abortion isn't a new thing. It's been happening for a very long time along with infanticide, that is children being killed once they were born. Many, many cultures would find that children were too expensive, or maybe the gender of the child wasn't preferable. And if it was a girl who couldn't make the family any money or carry on the family name, it was often the decision to, to get rid of the child, to abandon the child. Or maybe there was some disability or deformity, like abortion and infanticide. That's, that's not a new thing. And so N.T. Wright asks the question, what were these early Christians being obedient to in their reverence for the unborn and the recently born as they actively chose to abstain from abortions and infanticide? What were they being faithful to? What were they showing reverence to? And he supposes that it was what he calls a respect for the goodness of God's human creation, imago Dei and the strange goodness of human procreation as a part of God's command to be fruitful and multiply. I'll say that again. And to right beliefs, they abstained because it was out of a respect for the goodness of God's human creation, that's you and me, made in his image, and what he calls the strange goodness of, of human procreation as a part of God's command to us at the beginning to be fruitful and to multiply, and he adds that they chose not to tamper lightly with that. There's weight to those words, is it not? And the goal is not to hit you over the head with these things, but to ask you, how have you wrestled, or will you wrestle with the sixth commandment? Some of us will ask the burning question, well, Pastor, what about if the mother uh, is at risk? What what if the pregnancy poses significant risk to her life and well-being? Again, the scriptures seem to be really silent on this, but I told you earlier that while all murder involves killing, not all killing involves murder. And the scriptures don't even condemn uh, self-defense Our legal system doesn't even condemn a killing when a threat is barreling toward us, a credible threat is barreling toward us. And I've got to think that if an unborn baby poses a significant threat to the mother's life and well-being, that that doesn't seem like murder. Again, I'm hedging here because I'm not certain I'm supposing out loud that there's a difference between taking a life just because it's inconvenient versus the mother's life being under threat. These are things that we have to wrestle with, and you can hear it in my voice that I am wrestling with this as well because uh, we need to wrestle with this, the sixth commandment. The third thing I wanna offer to you to wrestle with this morning is this whole notion of God's plans Versus our plans. Like this is a thing, right? In every conversation and every decision we have to make, we are up against God's plans versus our plans. And we can't talk about God's plans without talking about the sovereignty of God. That's just a $70 Christian word that simply means God's divine right to do what He wants with all of His creation. The scriptures tell us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And if you don't buy that, you're going to have a real hard time walking this life out because you won't fully understand that the earth is the Lord's and we are his and he can do with us whatever he wills. It's also helpful and therefore necessary to couple the sovereignty of God with his omniscience, that is that he's all-knowing and all-wise, and to couple that yet with the fact that he is incorruptibly good in the grand scheme of how he decides and how he leads and how he interacts with all of creation, especially the humankind. We must wrestle with the sovereignty of God, pair it with his wisdom, and pair it with the fact that he has a unique vantage point that is higher than ours. that is better than ours. He uses a long throw lens to make his decisions, and we sometimes can only see what's right in front of our face. That's why a decision that is wrought with fear and panic and hurry and urgency and desperation. We can often get that wrong, but God is not up against such things. He was there when it began. He'll be there when it ends. There's no rush and no hurry and no panic and no desperation in how he decides and how he wills. We must rest that God's ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, which is why the scriptures tell us to trust in the Lord with our whole heart, to lean not into our own faulty, failing understandings, but to submit our way to him. And at the risk of oversimplifying this very complex matter, it seems that the root of many decisions to terminate the life of an unborn child is the result um, of there being an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy. Not always, but it's likely true of most pregnancies that result in abortion. The pregnancy was unintended and unexpected. And oftentimes, the pregnancy is unwanted. Now this is a really sensitive issue because there are many ways that a person can come to be in this boat many ways that they can find themselves at the fork of decision where they have to choose life or terminating that life. Maybe it was the result of some horrible act of sinful abuse or neglect. Maybe it was the result of some kind of sexual violence by a stranger or an acquaintance or worse, a family member. And that results in an unexpected, and therefore unwanted pregnancy, and a person's world is thrown instantly into chaos. I can only imagine being in a circumstance like that. And often the questions that arise out of, in a debate like this is what do we do in that circumstance? There are people asking, "Lord." we were just, I guess, fooling around, and we we're young, and this would really throw off the trajectory of our life. Like, what do we do in this case? Is it okay? But there are people who are asking, oh, something horrible happened to me. And statistically, people sitting in this room and watching, with, watching me online, you're wrestling with it. Something horrible happened to me. What is the moral thing to do? And again, I bring up the fact that the scriptures... Frustratingly, don't explicitly say. But as I wrestle with this this week and tried to find the appropriate words to say, and ask the Lord to guide my steps and to guide my words so that I don't step on any landmines in this conversation or do further harm, I ask the Lord to show me. And I believe that the Lord pointed me to his son our Lord and Savior Jesus, His conception and the circumstances surrounding his unexpected parents. Mary and Joseph were both surprising and unexpected. Some of you know the story: young married, betrothed to Joseph, we are visited by an angel. And this is what the story, how the story reads in Luke chapter one verse three. The, Mary, uh, the angel says to Mary, "Mary, don't be afraid." The angel told her, "For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, "But how can this happen? I am a virgin." The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, we've interacted with this text many times during the Advent seasons, and you might be wondering, what place does that have in this conversation? Why would he bring that up and read that today? I was drawn to mary's story because mary and joseph are now after they've been visited by this angel faced with an unplanned unexpected pregnancy that's a fact or is it were they really faced with an unplanned unexpected pregnancy to say that this pregnancy was unplanned doesn't quite ring true in the grand divine scheme of things. To see that this pregnancy was unexpected rings hollow given the facts of the matter. Sure, his parents weren't planning for this conception or this arrival. Sure, they were blindsided by this conception and the arrival of this child. But I think it's important to note, and I don't think it's belittling or dismissive to say that God wasn't surprised by this conception or the arrival of this child. God simply was not, and I think it's fair that we wrestle with that reality. The prophets would speak of his birth many years before he arrived, Isaiah chapter seven, verse four, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given many, many years before the conception and birth. The government will rest upon his shoulders and he will call wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. His parents didn't have a clue, but God did. And I wrestled with whether or not to even to frame it this way because I didn't want to belittle the fact that some of our conceptions and some of these situations came about under far less favorable conditions and circumstances. But I think we have to wrestle with the fact that God knew that you would be here today. He knew the circumstances of your conception, where you would land, where you would live, how you would grow up, all the things good, bad, and ugly that would happen to you. And he still chose to thrust to pr- to you into this earth. He still saw in the dark of the womb of your mother, regardless of how you were conceived, purpose destiny, a future, something that not only he could use, but he chose to use before the beginning of time. And I think that we must wrestle with the fact that though we're faced with tragic circumstances, unexpected happenings, and perhaps even unwanted conceptions, those things don't necessarily ring true from God's vantage point. And I wonder if we've ever wrestled with the fact that God's ways are higher than ours. And let me just say again, I know how this must sound as a male pastor who didn't come up on the rough side of the mountain, whose conception was not sort of shrouded and all of these complicated things that many, many women have to face but we still have to wrestle with what does the Lord say? So the question comes up over and over. So in the cases, Pastor, of rape or incest, must we bear this child of our uh, uh, abuser? I don't know. And some of you are as uncomfortable as I am with hearing your preachers say, I don't know. But I have a deep conviction not to be louder than the scriptures are on any issue. And hopefully what I'm loading you up with is something to wrestle with God on. Listen, people ask us all the time, well, what's the church's stance on this? What's the church's stance on this? and sometimes I can give them an answer, and sometimes I say, that's heavy, man, I don't know. Which is often a way to put it back to you and say, what is the, what is the Lord saying to you? Now, many of my pro-life brothers and sisters would, would nail me to a cross for saying this publicly, but they don't have to stand for the Lord before the Lord for me as to how I've stewarded this microphone and his scriptures you have to wrestle with, is your decision, your opinion, the way you've chosen to see the world, have you wrestled that down for yourself? What's informing that? Who's informing that? I can't give you that this morning, but you do have to wrestle with our plans versus the Lord's plans. Fourth and final thing I see here that I wanna wrestle with today, and I think this conversation would not be complete if we didn't wrestle with what kind of church we wanna be. I feel responsible after walking through the scripture, pondering some challenging things on this subject. I feel responsible, that's the principle in this church, to ask openly and out loud, what kind of church will we be? I can't talk about this issue comprehensively in the little that I have without localizing this issue to our SSV community. And I ask you, what kind of church will we be? I can't ask that question without asking what kind of people will we be? And if I can zoom in further, what kind of person will we be? Somebody uh, sent me this this week. They said, what if this is also an issue of collective responsibility? What are we doing or failing to do as a society, as a church, to prevent the kind of situations where abortion seem like the only or best solution? Listen, I was shaken by this as it moved toward me, as it came through the text message this morning. Not this morning, this week. We've got love God, we've got love people, and live it out, written on everything. Some of you have it on your shirts, stickers on your cars. But what about when it comes to this issue? I asked myself this week, is SSV a safe place for somebody who's wrestling with this? And after I asked that question, I asked myself a follow-up question, is Geno Allison a safe person that somebody might move toward if they're wrestling with this issue and that kept me up last night it kept me up this week because as many of the sisters reflected to me this week many people who are uh, choosing to have abortions are, are, are in desperate situations And they believed as they turned it over in their mind and as they rehearsed having to talk to this person or that person or that person or walk this out in their communities and in their lives, they concluded that the best solution and perhaps their only solution was to terminate this life. And I wondered to myself when somebody thought, man, what's Gino going to think about me in this situation? Can I bring this to my pastor? How will he receive me? I wasn't certain that people would automatically see me as a safe place and that kept me up nights. I wondered to myself if my sons, I only have sons, if my son found themselves in a precarious situation where they made some mistakes or found themselves in a situation, would they secret themselves or their girlfriends away as to not have to face me? And I didn't know. I didn't know if they would see me as a safe person. I didn't know. some of the issues that we dealt with earlier can be unknowable until we stand before the Lord. I have these questions about Imago Day as it concerns the unborn, and the Sixth Commandment as it concerns the unborn, and my plans versus God's plan. I have them tucked in my shirt pocket. My plan is as soon as I get off that golden elevator and I see the Lord, I'm going to ask Him about it. If I'm not too taken by the beauty and majesty of it all. Uh, it occurred to me this week that I, some of those things are unknowable, concretely. But this part, the Lord says, you have full control over whether or not you're a safe person and whether you are stewarding a safe place or desperate people, some of whom have made mistakes, Others who have been dreadfully sinned against, you have full control over whether you are a safe place where people can come and bring what they're carrying. So what kind of person are you going to be? And some of you might say, well, how can I control how somebody sees me? How can I control whether or not somebody who's in a desperate situation will even darken my door? I would say, you know, how you show up every other day. How you're talking about things with certainty that you can't possibly be certain about. How you're just flippantly sharing all kinds of garbage on social media, ruining your witness making God and his church and his people seem like unsafe places to bring. Jo- We're a hospital. Where are the sick people supposed to go? Yeah. And some of you if, you, if you really comb through, and worship team, you can make your way up, my time is up. If, if you comb through how you show up, or if you're bold enough to ask somebody who will tell you the truth, How do I show up? Do I seem safe? Would you bring this to me if you were wrestling with it? Some of you would be surprised. You'd be surprised. I feel compelled this week to not wonder if my kids would see me as a safe place. To not wonder so much. If the people that call this church home would feel frayed or trepidatious about moving toward me uh, with some heavy thing that they're carrying, I feel like we got to wrestle with who we are and how we're showing up. It's really the only thing we can control. <laughs> what kind of church are we going to be? John chapter 13, verse 35 says, by our love, people will know that we belong to Christ. Not by how well thought out and well articulated our positions are, how fervent, how much conversational stamina we have. People will know by our love. And I want to be known by my love. So as we put this all together, we've talked about the Imago Dei and I've urged you to wrestle with that. We've talked about the sixth commandment, you must not murder, and I've asked you to wrestle with that. I've, talk, I've asked you to consider our plans versus God's plans, and ultimately I challenge you to consider what kind of church we will be, but you can't control how much, who this church is. You can only con- consider and control who you will be, and I wonder how you will spend this week wrestling with God and trying to decide how you've come, just how you've come to believe what you believe about this. Some of you are frustrated with me because I've, I've thrown your whole opinions on this out of sorts, and that's good. I told you a couple weeks ago that sometimes deconstruction is good, sometimes to take the thing apart. Is good to see what doesn't belong and if it squares with the character and the nature of God and if it uh, shows any fidelity to Scripture. Listen, I don't know a whole lot as I proved today. But what I do know is that we are His. And an unbelieving world will only know us by our love. And our love will only be as strong as our feet are planted on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. So whether you're here today and you were challenged to move from a place of indifference to really turn this over in your heart, or you're somebody who falls on the conservative end of this or the liberal end of it, it doesn't matter. We're all supposed to bring all of this to Jesus and say, Lord, if there's something I've missed showing you, Maybe I've landed in the right place, Lord, but my disposition stinks. And how I'm representing you and your people stinks, Lord. Whatever it is, show me. May my feet be planted firmly on your foundation. Would you stand with me if you can? As we sing this final song, we invite the Spirit to minister to each and every person in the room, regardless of your orientation to this issue. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. Come, Lord Jesus. As you show yourself to us today. And in your reflection, may we be able to see a true reflection of who we are and how we're showing up and how we're being experienced by others, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus.